Welcome to a new Neon Jazz interview with the jazz singer injecting pure cool into the craft, weaving together the old school jazz world and blending it with the present day, Miss Laura Ainsworth. Speaking to me from her base in Dallas, Texas, our interview was a verbal journey to get a definitive bio for a rising star in the jazz world. Speaking about her father, Billy, who performed in his jazz heyday with the likes of the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra and Frank Sinatra. She also talked about her latest disc, which is a fine one called Necessary Evil, her comedy business, her rescued parrots, and much more. Dig it. First of all, I want to thank you for speaking with us at, at Neon Jazz. We're very excited about this. Well, I appreciate you asking me. It's really a pleasure to be on. Without any further ado, I want to jump right in and ask, where were you born and raised? Well, those are two separate questions. I was born in Los Angeles. Okay. But I got to Texas as fast as I could. I was four years old, so I consider myself to be a native Texan. Talk to me about your father, Bill. Um, I read in your bio that, you know, he played with uh, Tommy Dorsey, Frank Sinatra, and you grew up around that. What was that like? It was wonderful. It was just magical. My, my dad was so different from everybody else's dad. Um, one of the great memories I have is of him just shutting himself up in the, the little bathroom, and the tile bathroom, and trying out reeds. Yeah, and he he'd have his window open, and the the saxophone music would just waft up and down the street, and I was so proud that I lived in the house where the beautiful saxophone music was coming from. <laughs> and of course, I listened to all the best music growing up. When my friends were listening to pop and rock music, I was listening to Ella Fitzgerald, and I thought of them as culturally deprived. I listened to that music <laughs> too, but they didn't really have what I had. Well, and, and it did say in your bio, too, that you witnessed Ella and, you know, Mel Torme and the like. Mm -hmm. What was I that? Saw, what? Yes, I saw Ella when she was very old. Okay. My dad played at the Fairmont Venetian Room here in Dallas. He was in the house band, and he would back everybody who came through. So, of course, um, Mel Torme was one of those people, Tony Bennett, and Ella came when she was very, very old. My mother would bring me to the Fairmont on Tuesday nights because it was comp night. Anybody in the band could bring their family in. On Tuesday night, it was kind of a, a light night at the Fairmont, not, not a huge crowd. And uh, we would get to sit there. My mother and I would sit there, and we would have Grand Marnier souffles for dessert. <laughs> and we would watch all the entertainment that I would never have been able to see otherwise. Ella was very old. She was just barely getting around at that point, but she was still great. Yeah. So is it safe to say from an early age you wanted to be a singer, or were there any other aspirations? Uh, early on, I wanted to be a singer. I kind of got away from that for a while, um, got more involved in theater, and I do have quite a background in musical theater in the Dallas area. And then I moved from theater back into jazz. There was a, a local theater here who did a show called Swingin' with the Big Band, and it was my first opportunity to actually sing with a band, the way I had always wanted to do as a little girl. Mm -hmm. And after that, I thought, well, I'm going to put together my own shows, and I'm, I'm going to start recording this type of music because this is what I have really always wanted to do. Sure. So talk to me about your trajectory over the years. What bands have you been in? Kind of go through the lineage of your singing career. 
Well, as I said, I really started out in musical theater. And then, um, really, it was only about 10 years ago that I got serious about doing jazz. Uh, The first live show I ever did was actually a comedy show. Uh, It was a spoof on plastic surgery and the obsession that people have with age. It was called My Ship Has Sailed. And that is how I first started working with Brian Piper. He, uh, of course, he's produced both of my CDs, and he was my keyboard player and music director for My Ship Has Sailed. He was perfect for that because he can play in any style. He's the, the most incredible jazz keyboardist you will ever hear, but he can play in any style. Sure. And these were parody songs, all sorts of things. Some of them were standards, but some of them were Gilbert and Sullivan <laughs> the Adams Family theme song, just all kinds of crazy songs, and uh, of course he could play it all. Then uh, I decided to start doing musical tributes to songwriters like Cole Porter. I'm working on one now that's for Johnny Mercer, and if, if you look at my CDs, you'll see that I really am quite a Johnny Mercer fan. Yeah, <laughs> got a lot of selections by him, and uh, it was really only three years ago that I started recording. With well, with the first CD, um, keep it to yourself. Well, I tell you what, I love your music, and when I saw this album cover for Necessary Evil with the pistol on the front and the <laughs> martini on the back, I was like, that uh, that's a seriously cool throwback uh, cover. There, I love it. Um, oh, thank you. I guess this is sort of a trend, but I didn't realize that it is when uh, when I got the idea to do this. I just thought that that song conjured up that sort of uh, movie, sure. old, old film noir detective movie, Necessary Evil. And the first time I heard Necessary Evil, I knew I had to record that. Now, sure. I know you've played that. That was um, Louis Armstrong, well, Louis, I should say, Louis Armstrong, because yeah. he would hate Louis. Yeah. And Ella Fitzgerald doing a duet, uh, really before they recorded their very famous duet. So a lot of people haven't heard that one. I heard it and thought, I have to record this, so I changed a few pronouns and made it something that a solo singer could do. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else has ever recorded it. Hmm. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about live performance. I hear you put on quite a show. Where are some of your favorite places to perform, and how do you feel about performing live? Dallas doesn't have a lot of venues for the type of jazz that I like to do, unfortunately. Hmm. Um Dallas is kind of a party band scene, and it's very easy for me to do background music. Mm-hmm. There are just a few places here in Dallas that are really great to perform live jazz in. So I do a lot of private gigs. I'm really loving recording now because these are things that are going to be heard, or they are being heard all over the world in places that I might never get to perform. Sure. Just far-flung places, you wouldn't believe. Sure. <laughs> Some of the jazz stations that are playing my music. Yeah. Well, talk to me a little bit. I'm kind of going to put the singing on the side burner a little bit. Talk to me about the Comedy Wire. Well, the Comedy Wire is a uh, syndicated topical humor service mm-hmm. for morning radio DJs. And actually, it doesn't exist in the same form that it used to because we have private clientele now who have exclusive 
rights to our services. And oh. by our services, I mean my husband, Pat Reeder, and me. We are the, the co-writers of this material. And uh, we, we've just been doing this as long as we've been married. We've been uh, a comedy writing team. Wonderful. And I also write song parodies. I, I've had song parodies played all over the world, and most people would never know I wrote them or that that's my voice. Sure. <laughs> Until I started putting out my own CDs, people would never have known that that, that was my voice. So in a certain way, it's a validation. How do you feel about that, having such exposure, but maybe people don't necessarily know who you are? Oh, it's wonderful to have my name attached to these things now. And occasionally, even on the radio, when there's a song parody and, and I'm credited on it, I can hardly believe that I'm hearing my name over the radio because I have worked in anonymity for so long. Well, and and that kind of brings me back to the beginning of the interview. I mean, it seems like you've kind of been under the shadow of your father. Is it kind of strange that, you know, there there's, there there has even been a level of obscurity with your name and with your work? Um, I never felt like that with my dad, except very early on. He was such a perfectionist. He uh, used to sing jingles locally. Dallas is a big commercial recording center, and he worked at a company called Pam's doing singing commercials. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in the group, and I would never audition for that group because he was just, I mean, I would hear him talk about other people who he thought were good and who weren't good, and I didn't want him to analyze me in that way. Mm-hmm. I knew he he demanded perfection, and so I never did that. Yeah. So, yes, I guess I would have to say that for a little while I was uh, kind of in the shadow. Sure. So who are your favorite jazz musicians? Who really have, has kind of cultivated your love for the craft? Well, I love the old classy big band singers. I love Lena Horne. I love the old... Uh, or I guess I should say very young, Doris Day mm-hmm. with Les Brown, you know, very young. I can't believe how self-possessed she was. She was kind of like my dad, you know, out, out in front of the audiences at age 17, 18. And I'm I'm always so impressed with that. Um, Ella Fitzgerald, of course, Keely Smith. I love her voice. Um, those, I guess, are the main ones. So if you could hop in a little jazz uh, time capsule and go back and meet one musician from any era, who would it be and why? Oh, my gosh. Um, I guess it would be Keely Smith. She had a very challenging personal life and and had to work her her professional life in with that. That's intriguing to me, considering I'm married to someone I work with very closely. And then she was always kind of in the shadow of Louis Louis Prima, and after they split up, she was not confident in her ability to make it as a solo act. I would love to know how she felt about that, because I listen to her now, and even in the later recordings, the ones that Frank Sinatra helped her with, just fabulous, fabulous voice, and to think that someone like that maybe didn't feel up to snuff somehow, I would just love to talk with her about that. Absolutely. 
So talk to me a little bit about some of your short and long-term plans. What do you have right now as far as maybe live shows, any recordings coming up? And where, where do you want your career to go? What do you want to be remembered for? It's interesting that you should ask me that because the CDs are something I wanted to do mostly to be remembered. Since my background is in live performing, there's always a frustration there after a show is over. You know, maybe there were two or three hundred people there, but beyond that, no one else heard it, and it's gone. These people might remember elements of the show years later, but it's really so ephemeral, it's just gone. And I wanted something to leave. I listened to recordings from people that they made 50 years ago and am just so blown away by their talent. I can only hope that maybe 50 years from now people will hear, you know, the gentleman is a dope, and they'll think, wow, who's that? <laughs> that that's kind of what I'm hoping for. So let me ask you a general question about jazz from the beginnings and to today. How is jazz doing? How how do you feel it's evolved over the decades? And how is jazz doing in America in 2013? I think it's become rather compartmentalized. When people think of jazz, they often have a very narrow view of what it is. It's R&B style jazz, which is very popular here in Dallas. Or, you know, it's just real spaced, spaced out instrumental jazz. Or it's standards, something like what I do. But um, I don't know, do you call it narrow casting when you have a very, very specific little niche mm -hmm. that you're in? That's pretty much it. Yeah. I, think, I think that has happened to jazz, and I would like to see jazz a little more open as a genre and jazz listeners more open to, to different varieties of the music. Well, you know, we're based here in Kansas City, and I find it still quite amazing being in the place where the Jazz Hall of Fame is and all of the history. I would love to come and see that. Oh, it's cool. It's very, very cool. But the the amazing thing about radio here is there's not a saturation you would feel there would be from a place like Kansas City. So... Um, I can see what you're saying. I, I would love to see more of an, an, a, an embrace of the old and the new and the entire spectrum, because it is kind of pigeonholed, I believe. It is, and Dallas is like that, too. You know, we have North Texas, well, it used to be called North Texas State, the University of North Texas, mm -hmm. where so many uh, music grads come from. Yeah. And, I mean, Dallas just has the best players you could even imagine because most of them graduated from North Texas. Yeah. Some of the players on my CDs are professors at North Texas. They're, mm -hmm. they're just the best. Yeah. There's this kind of sensibility, I guess, among students of jazz even, that it's a, just a certain thing, and it doesn't necessarily include the old standards. Right. Even though I think if you listen to my CDs, Brian has put a really modern spin on some of these old songs. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting about jazz, too, is that it's one of those genres of music where people, when they get into it, don't start thinking they're really going to get big. You know, I think other genres, possibly, but with jazz, 
usually, I know even in the scene here in Kansas City, a lot of these musicians are going to make a name locally, but it may not become a national or international thing and blow up. Mm-hmm. So, Yes, um, and I don't think that that's necessarily true. You asked me earlier about my own career trajectory, what I was hoping for, mm-hmm. and I do hope to get big sure. with this. It may happen in places around the world before it happens in America, but I am really hoping for that. Sure. Do you travel around quite a bit and perform, or do you kind of stay there in the region? I stay pretty much here. Um, I'm hoping to travel quite a bit more. And with these CDs now, a lot of people have heard me who, of course, never would have otherwise, and I'm hoping to get up to New York City and um, just various places. Kansas City. Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) <laughs> that would be wonderful. Um, I, you know, when I hear that Europe always has a thriving market for uh, not only jazz, but jazz singers. It's it's a big deal over there. Yes, I have a friend who is a cabaret, I guess you'd say cabaret slash jazz singer, who spends half the year in Shanghai. Yeah. Lord, let me ask you a question. Do you live with any regrets? Is there anything you would have done differently? Oh, yes. <laughs> I would have started with... Uh, with jazz and started recording myself much, much earlier. I mean, I I gained a lot from working in theater, and I I was able to perform live quite a lot. And I think I developed some technique in theater that actually works well with jazz. It's kind of funny. My dad never wanted me to study legitimate voice. Mm. He believed that that would ruin a jazz singer. He thought that I would end up sounding like uh, soprano in the church choir. Hmm. So he discouraged me from doing that. But later on, when I was in theater, I did study voice, and I realized that my father had been wrong, and that uh, singing legitimately and becoming a well-trained singer helped me really more than anything else, I think, to, to be a good jazz singer. So I hear that, and this number may be different now, you have 16 rescued parrots. Well, 15. 15. So how, how did that come about? Have you always loved birds? Um, yes, I have. And uh, I was living for a while just right down the street from a store that had little baby parrots, little tame parrots. And I fell in love with them and had to finally get one. And I bought a few of them, but then it seemed as though there were a lot of unwanted parrots and parrots from neglectful homes and handicapped parrots. They all seemed to end up at my door. I took them all in, and I love them. In fact, I have an African gray parrot named Dorian Gray, Uh who is my little jazz bird. He sings with me. He imitates my voice exactly, and when I practice, he does vocal exercises with me. He he sings a few lines from songs. I'm trying to teach him more. And when he hears jazz on the radio, in fact, he will say, turn on the radio, want some music, turn on the radio. I'll turn it on. He'll start dancing to it, and he will improvise with it like a little trumpet. You know, you, you took the next question out of my mouth. I was going to ask, there had to be some level of mimicking with, with at least a bird or two. So. Oh, yes. Well, he's the most talented one. <laughs> I have another bird who sings a couple of lines from Old MacDonald Had a Farm, but he doesn't really swing. <laughs> <laughs> Dorian swings. That's awesome. 
That's really cool. Um, so let me ask you this. Is there something that, uh, that the world does not know about you that you'd be willing to spill here on Neon Jazz? Well, I have the philosophy that is the title of my first CD, Keep It to Yourself. <laughs> I always have to have a few secrets. There you go. Good answer. Um, <laughs> what album are you listening to now? What What have you listened to prior to this interview, the last thing you listened to? The very last thing I listened to was Al Stewart, because I'm going to go see him uh, in about a week. He's performing locally here in Dallas, and so he's listening to The Year of the Cat and Time Passages and all that. Wonderful. Digging the saxophone on all those things. Cool. It's really great. Well, I tell you what, uh, Laura, thank you for your time. I appreciate it very much. Okay, very good. Well, I I hope it was the sort of thing you were uh, looking for. Absolutely. It was wonderful talking with you. Thank you. Well, it was great to talk to you, too. Good luck. Continued success. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and singers doing that jazz these days. And thanks to Laura for her time and insight into her craft and ways. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or you can visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things neon jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Well, man has to sip of the grape. Neon Jazz.